You're listening to Love the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott and Bob Baldessari. All right, Love of the Links, episode two of season two. We're back with Mr. Bob Baldessari. Bobby, how are you? Mucho frio in southern Florida these days, but feels good. Feels uh, refreshing. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. I, I was wondering if you're the type of northerner transplant down here that likes the cold or dislikes the cold. I love it. Yeah, me too. It, <laughs> I miss it, it. It gives some kind of change of season down here for just a little stretch. Well, my friends back home in Boston, Massachusetts, New England are texting me <laughs> videos, photos of 12 to 18 inches of snow and Mm-hmm. I miss a good snowstorm. It's uh, it's uh, kind of wicked fun. It's kind of yeah. wicked tough with the shoveling, but yeah, you know, I do miss that. Yeah, I I don't miss that, but I miss the fall. That's what I miss of yeah. upstate New York. So let's get rolling. A uh, couple of fun events this week on tour, and then uh, a team event, which we kind of talked about last episode, but a team event next week. Um, so that's kind of where I wanted to start um, with the Hero World Challenge. And it seems like between the Hero and the President's Cup, we got guys medically withdrawing with injuries left and right, it seems like. But that's kind of where I wanted to start with at least the Hero. Um, it's – do they get World of Golf rankings for this? I was thinking about this, and I didn't see it on the on the website. I have to double check on that one. I know that some of them do, some don't. Some limited fields get them, and maybe it's not as equitable as the regular full fields. But, you know, that one's – with Tiger involved, it always gets a lot of eyeballs. I was reading something about the – maybe the new normal for Jordan Spieth, that uh, he hasn't been as dominating as usual for some years. So um, it's an interesting – I think in the top players, this might be an interesting week to see how they come back from their uh, breaks. Um, and they get back into competition. Yeah, and I'm and I'm looking at the tee times for for tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow they start Wednesday, and it, it's obviously for the limited field and his event. It's kind of who's who of who's been playing pretty strong of the last couple months, and 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 that's where I wanted to start with with this, and then as we get into the uh, PNC uh, father son. I just wanted to go through and, and pull out just a few names, not the entire field, and just kind of handicap the field and get your thoughts on it. And, and some of these folks obviously will be playing next week as well. Uh, but where I wanted to start most notably is a guy who was just subbed in by Captain Woods for next week, Mr. Fowler. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Ricky? It's been kind of a no-show Ricky the last couple months, so. Yeah, I guess he's been laying low, staying quiet, maybe working on his game. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I get a feeling he's going to have a big year uh, coming up. I really do. I think – I don't know. I just got a gut feeling. Can't explain it, but I think he's uh, – maybe the stars are aligning for him. You know, everybody's different. As you and I know, we we spend a lot of time around kids in uh, youth golf, and kids develop at different ages, and people do, and – you hit different plateaus at different times. Uh, I just think he's going to have a pretty good year this year. I, I can, I really, I, I don't know, just can't explain it, but I think he's due. 
Yeah, and what I was thinking about with Ricky is something I've thought about over the last couple of years with with some of the other guys that kind of are in his circle uh, with with Jordan uh, and and um, who who else hangs with those guys? Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas, and what what I was thinking about um, is how does, in your opinion, how does family life because uh, they're they're all recently engaged or recently married, uh, children will probably be coming down the road. How does that affect things now versus in as we kind of uh, do some foreshadowing and talking about the father son, how does it different now with these guys versus when Nicholas and player and, and those guys were out on tour with families? Yeah, it's a different time and place. I think some people, if they pour everything into it, body, mind, soul, they play better. And then when they get married and have kids, it, it could be a nice distraction. Other players, I've seen it flip. Yep. A little distracted in the single life, get married, boom, they get focused. Back to Raymond Floyd, um, bachelor guy out there. And uh, he got married in his career really good uh, into a different way, shape, or form. Focus started always at one. But, I mean, just I, I think of uh, Raymond as one guy that, uh, you know, changed it up once you get married. Um, I think, um, you know, society today, it's a little bit different. Um, you're very, very focused on the kids even more than when, when you and I were growing up. I mean, um, so I think it can help some players. I mean, some players, uh, it's not the end of the world. If they're not going to win a lot of golf tournaments, they want to stay home. Um, you know, I, it's funny. Jack is the only – Jack Nicholas, the only one that I can recall ever had that rule two weeks away from home. That was it. Uh, you, do, you don't hear anybody talk about that on the one hand, but – um, yeah, it's interesting to see, I don't know, just interesting to see how it affects different people. And, and you can't bring this topic up without talking about Tiger and kind of the epiphany that at least from looking from afar that he's kind of had, uh, injuries kind of drove that, uh, some questionable things that happened, you know, in years past kind of have driven this too, but I really truly feel that he is a much different person now. He's in a much different place. And, and I don't think that the injury or the past transgressions are the reason for that. I think it's family. I think it's, he's very truthful when he talks about his children. And, and uh, I think that's kind of what's brought him to rebound. Yeah. You know, it's such a fine line out there. I mean, it's a wicked fine line. <laughs> and all you do is need a little bit of doubt about your golf swing physically, uh, mentally, losing confidence, or as I'm aware of uh, players on the home front. If something's not right on the home front, you're, that's weighing on your mind. Great. That makes a big, big difference. Uh, you know, I think back, um, my first head pro job was at a Gary player course. Gary came out to visit us four times in three years. Got to know him a little bit, shared some amazing, amazing stories. Um, he came out with this one club, the Par Saver, and uh, he said to me, Bobby, if I had this club when I was your age, I would have won three more majors. <laughs> and I said, geez, Gary, I'm working on my first major, so maybe I should give that club a try. But I remember him telling me that he traveled with his kids, and if he did not finish in the top three, he was losing a lot of money. Yeah, he had his yeah. wife, his kids travel. Uh, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, so obviously – different these days but um you know when dean beeman came into the pga tour he 
he brought the tour as a commissioner from station wagons to jets. Yeah. So it is a little bit different traveling today, but uh, I think if you have a comfortable family life, that makes a big difference on the course. Do you, do you think the fact that everything's not everything, but a bulk of what these guys do off the course is so much more uh, in the spotlight than it was in, in past generations with social media and, and a second part to that question is, at least in my opinion, I feel like the guys that really do embrace the social media um, t- tend to be able to handle everything a little bit better. At least that's my take. What do you, what do you think about that? You can't avoid social media these days, no. that's for sure. Uh, I guess it used to be if you were a bad interview in the press tent afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talk to Jeff Babineau. Babs will tell you some great stories and some of the guys out there that in the old days, it was just, you know, behind the scenes, uh, that was a tough interview. Now, um, I think it does make a difference if you embrace it. Generationally, the younger guys have done it. I don't know how many on the Champions Tour off the top of my head really do a lot there, but um, it, it can it can definitely help your fan base. I think it it's a great way to engage and create a bigger fan base for the game of golf, for sure. Yeah, and what you just said is kind of alluding to what we're going to get towards the second half of the show is I wanted to talk about golf, not necessarily the game itself, um, but the entertainment value that it has. And it's it's much different than it's been in years past. And and it has to. I mean, everything, everything evolves. I think golf uh, has historically been slow to evolve and slow to change. Uh, but I really think within the last couple of years, and we'll save more of this for our guests that's going to be on a little bit later, but I, but I feel like, you know, with the social media and with golf being uh, or not being with having a, a higher entertainment value, I think that kind of changes things up to so dynamics of it for tour pros as well. It's definitely a, a game that has wonderful traditions in history, but those wonderful traditions in history hold it back. Yeah. Uh, you got to be careful about that. I remember in my lifetime being in this golf shop, uh, working for my dad, um, dad, was a 53-year member of the PGA. I remember when the Metalwood came out and everybody said, well, that's a fad. I remember when Ashworth came out with the first soft collars and everybody said, yeah, are you, you know, kidding me? Uh, soft spikes, when that came, that was me. September 1st, 1996, we instituted soft spikes at my club in Ocean City, Maryland. My elbow was still sore from all the changing <laughs> up the, you know, everybody said, well, I, you know, there's so many things that look like a fad, but, um, they end up being good for the game. And it, it is, uh, you know, when I was at PGA Village, I was the general manager up there. And I used to love to look in the History Center and the Museum of Golf. And there's old magazines that show the um, people are quoted in there from the 1930s, 1941, that the game was going to be harmed because people are not playing golf with a jacket and a tie. Yeah. So, you know, trust codes change. The game has to change and evolve. And some things are always good to um, get a fresh perspective. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, the two events that we're going to, that we're speaking about, you know, early on in the, in this episode, it's a very generational uh, gap between the two different events. But at the same time, I think it's kind of uh, capturing what we're talking about right now, the entertainment value of things. And, and, you know, you talk about the younger guys, being good at this and, and getting out there and showing some personality. But I saw a post from Mr. Nicholas uh, as he and Mr. Trevino were celebrating uh, 
his birthday this the last couple of days and I, I think Jack has really done whether it's him or his team or a combination I think he's really led that charge of the social media for that generation yeah the, he does some really 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 nice things I mean he I like a lot of the posts he does uh, there's some of the guys at that generation they they start to embrace it and uh, you know it's a good thing it gets people to know them. And when you get to know somebody, you really can gravitate to them versus just the veneer that's on the, when they're on the stage on the, on the tour and they have to be focused. Uh, you know, guys like Henrik Stenson and some of these other guys that off the course, they're, I mean, they're wicked funny. They're just, yeah. um, they're just different. And there could be other players in other sports, but uh, once they're on the playing field, they're focused. There's a, a plan for a lot of money, uh, but it's nice when they can, to me, engage with the fan base or, or grow some fans like that and people get to know you. Yeah. And again, that's it truly has helped guys like him or, or Ian Poulter. Uh, you know, it, when, when I was working at the golf Academy of America, Poulter uh, used to have a, an event at Lake Nona where, where he would need some help. It was for the watch company that one of his sponsors and he need help from the students of the golf Academy and they go over and, and caddy and for caddy and do some other stuff. And these were uh, executives at, at bigger companies and, and some of the touring pros. And, and the guys uh, from the Golf Academy couldn't get over how funny, how generous, um, just how down to earth a lot of these guys were. And Stenson, Stenson was one of them. Remember uh, Beef Johnson? Obviously, he's, he's somebody that's got the personality that you look for. Um, but at the same time, you know, this just came to mind the personal struggles that we all go through uh, he very beef uh, Andrew Johnston really was in the limelight with that uh, what, about a year ago or maybe half you know six months ago about going through some challenges when he was thrust into the limelight pretty quick and that's a really good example of how if these guys embrace this and and talk to the fan base how it can really humanize them and and make people feel one way or the other about them. Yeah, it's a big thing for many years now in business as well called vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You can show vulnerability and certainly empathy, but um, when you open yourself up like that, I think people gravitate to, to you. Um, it can work in the corporate setting, certainly can work in that in that regard. And there's been some others I think is starting to catch on. The, the number one TED Talk uh, out there, if you're into TED Talks, number one has to do with vulnerability. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and you know, one of my favorite shows on TV has to do with that thing, the corporate uh, undercover boss. You you yeah. see you see that a lot, and sometimes the people don't have that in their nature. But by doing this exercise, and a lot of it's made for TV, but but I, I do think it, it's a game changer a lot of times for these individuals. No doubt. So the uh, Hero World Challenge starts, uh, coverage starts tomorrow on the Golf Channel. Uh, they go through Saturday, limited field, tee times, leading off at 1040 with Justin Rose and John Rahm. That's a great twosome to lead things off. But as you go through the list here, there's not a bad twosome. Uh, the final group, at least on Wednesday, is Stenson and, and Jordan Spieth. Uh, let's switch gears to the PNC father-son. This is a really fun event. Um, I did a, uh, a clinic expo uh, a couple years back at a junior clinic right before the tournament. And watching these guys, watching Nicholas interact with the crowd, 
It's really cool to see Gary players playing this year, I believe with his, his daughter, I believe. Um, Tom Watson's playing, you know, some sad news came out this week about the loss of his wife, uh, her battle with cancer, but yeah. just another, you talk about nice guys, those three guys. And on the website for the events, it says the goats. <laughs> and basically they are uh, player Nicholas and Watson. And that's, that, that's your, uh, that's your big three. Now with the, the passing of Arnie, Arnie will always be part of that, but these are the guys getting things going in Augusta and, it's a big deal for the PNC. Yeah, it sure is. And I, I, I believe Annika's uh, Sorenstam yeah. playing. So playing. I think they might have to rename that father-son to parent-child or something. <laughs> yep. Uh, but that's that's good to see. I, I'm glad they're growing it. Their their, their mindset is growing. They're organized for, uh, organized for that. Um, this season we're in now, it used to be called the Silly Season. The, the Skins game started that. Different evolution, different ideas that come out, different formats. I think it's it's always been a nice breather, a nice break, uh, because again, to my earlier point, you get some players that drop the guard a little bit. They smile. They can keep it out there. They um, not everybody's going to be Chichi Rodriguez every time, but yeah, uh, I, I think you do see more genuine openness. Um, I like these events. Uh, sometimes yeah, I can go overboard. There's too many, but I, but I like the idea that we have some of these. Yeah, and like, like you said, we had we had talked about this a little bit. Uh, on the last show, um, it, it needs to be a balance, definitely. But I think these things are good for, again, alluding to what we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, the entertainment value thing and and bringing in more people to the game. I think like things like this is, is a good starting point for some folks uh, that might be on the fence. Looking real quick at the field here, some interesting pairings. John Daly with Little John, who showed some game the last couple of years, mm -hmm. Little John. Uh, chip off the old block there. Um, David Duvall playing with his son. We got we got a uh, Jim Furyk playing with his dad. I I'm looking at the field. Besides Annika, uh, that's the only father son or father daughter pairing. But you look at some of these other names. Like I remember a few years ago when VJ Singh's son played one year and then played the next year. And it's like, he grew two feet or something. The kid's big <laughs> like dad and he hits the ball mile. Um, so my question for you is one, have you been to this event? Um, and two, who's going to win this week? Some of the older guys got a chance. I think Annika wins. <laughs> I think she comes right out of the blocks and does well. Uh, it, it's yeah. It's going to be, I'd have to study that list a little more, but I, I yeah. I thought she would do really well. Uh, you know, I was I got to play with my dad in a lot of tournaments. Uh, we're both being PGA pros, but me as a kid growing up, pro-ams, pro-members, things like that. So uh, unbelievable best memories ever. Um, it's a real special thing. It's, I played with my dad or my son in some of the pro-junior events. Uh, mm -hmm. The first time I took him to a pro-junior event in the Mid-Atlantic PGA, we got on the first tee and he looks around and he's looking around and I say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? He goes, well, where are all the people? And I said, what do you mean where are all the people? Because he's only seen golf on TV or that was his first big tournament. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, a lot of great memories. And, you know, interestingly enough, Mike Furyk, uh, quick story on him. He was my Tommy Armour rep at my first head pro job in Ocean mm -hmm. City, Maryland. And after about a good year, year and a half, he said, hey, I don't think I might be back next year because my son's going after the tour qualifying school. I'm going to be his manager. I'm thinking there's a lot of good sticks out there, right? There's a lot of good players. <laughs> good luck, you know, and 
So Jim Furyk's had a pretty good career. And the only coach I believe he's ever had was dad. We used to think Mike should get the teacher of the year award because he didn't change Jim's swing at all. And uh, I told that story to Jim one time and he laughed. He's like, um, yeah, it's good. He kept me with the swing the way it was uh, just nice and natural. Yeah, a lot, lot to be said about, uh, about that. We had been cookie cutter. We had this phase for maybe a decade or a little bit more of cookie cutter swings, but you're starting to see personality come out and, and uniqueness, which was kind of the hallmark of, you know, the era of Nicholas and, and you think of Johnny Miller and some of those very unique swings. Um, everything's cyclical. And I think we're, we're kind of there with golf with the only exception being, you know, we're, we're starting to slowly embrace, uh, like we had said earlier, some of the things we need to, to draw people into the game. Uh, so, before our, it looks like we're a couple minutes away from our, our guest coming in there he is right on cue I'm gonna let Bobby introduce um, introduce our guest because you guys have a little bit of a history and you brought a nice prop in to uh, to introduce uh, this gentleman um, so Bob why don't you why don't you start with that all right well it's uh, my pleasure pr privilege and honor I got to know this gentleman oh boy a while ago when I was up at PGA Village and um, he uh, can hit the ball wicked far, as we would say. So I'm sure he wants to give me lots of credit for how far he can hit it. That's a complete joke. But um, yeah, he came into the game of golf. I'm going to let uh, my friend here explain how he got into the game because it's really, really fascinating. I think it speaks to long-term athlete athletic development as well, playing other sports yep. and using your own unique way to get into the sport. But um, this is uh, a little gift he gave me. Uh, we're talking about Maurice Allen, Mighty Mo. And this is Maurice, uh, if you can see some of that there. That's uh, him in action. Um, and he gave me this uh, some years ago when he, maybe I can see that. That is cool. The, uh, world, Guinness World Record, uh, fastest, uh, says fastest golf drive achieved by Maurice Allen, USA, um, up in Orlando. Uh, back in 20, 2012. So uh, our pleasure to bring in Mr. Maurice Allen. Hey, Mighty Mo. Hey, what's going on, Smooth Bobby B? How's life treating you? <laughs> Things are good. Uh, we're very privileged to have you here with us. I hope you're doing well and you're feeling uh, ready to conquer the world again with your uh, world uh, records and um, world winning your uh, long drive competitions. That's the goal. That is definitely the goal for sure. But I think, uh, you know, everybody might be interested what you do off. Uh, I mean, you're amazing what you do long drive, but uh, you have uh, changed lives with what you do off the field. Um, things you've done, charities you've created, um, young lives you've changed, and um, that's become as powerful as anything to what you've done, I think, in the time you know, we've been together. And that was what you told me way, way years ago. You said uh, – I want to win the world long drive only because I want to use it as a platform to uh, make a difference in people's lives. Yeah. I mean, most definitely from a person who did not play traditional golf or I didn't grow up playing junior golf, high school golf, any of that stuff. Uh, I think that I've been in a sense, you know, it's awkward, but I think that I've gotten more from the game than I deserve uh, in certain aspects. And then in other aspects, I feel like I haven't gotten what I deserved, which is funny, but I've also been blessed enough with the opportunity to see the world and travel 
doing something that I didn't even know existed probably 10 years ago now at this point. Um, so it's just a way of me trying to give back not only to people, but to the game. Uh, a lot of people have put a lot of their hard earned, you know, time, work, money, uh, prayers, thoughts, things like that into helping me become the individual that I am. So a lot of times in life, you know, even if somebody gives you, let's say it's 15 bucks, you know, and that 15 bucks was what you needed at that amount of time. And it, it helped you with an opportunity to do much better for yourself. Uh, even if you gave a person those 15 bucks back, it still doesn't repay exactly how significant those $15 were to you. So the easiest way to repay people who've helped you other than showing your gratitude and obviously saying thank you uh, is to really go back and help other people. Good. Brennan? Yeah, Maurice, this is Brendan. One, we appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, two, my first question is, how, how does a kid from Pine Hills, Florida, find his way onto the big stage, uh, doing his best two claps and a Ric Flair, <laughs> bombing it out there? How, how did that journey start? Uh, and, and are you surprised about how quickly uh, this rise to, to fame uh, came? Um. Well, I guess it started, you know, my dad tried to get me to play golf as a kid. I wasn't interested in it. Uh, golf was not cool. Um, you know, as you get older, cool changes. You know, your definition of cool definitely changes. So um, I see golf for the beauty of what it is. I'm not certain that many juniors can see that. Uh, there's something that happens to you as far as when you get older, you get wiser in your appreciation for life and uh, what life is really all about actually happens. Um as far as a rise, I, I don't think it was quick. You know, you hear it in the music industry all the time that nobody becomes successful overnight. That's definitely the case uh, with me. I think, you know, I quote, quote, unquote, broke out in the main stage in 2017. But back in 2012, I was doing, you know, the PGA championships and they were talking about me on TNT, but nobody was really listening. Nobody was really paying attention at that state. Uh, and then it just happened to come about 2017 with the whole Ric Flair thing. And that took off to a whole nother level, but it definitely didn't happen overnight. And am I, was I surprised? I guess kind of sort of because, you know, the, Things that I achieved, especially throughout that entire time frame and long drive, honestly, did not exist as far as the notoriety and things like that. It, it just it wasn't something that was possible at that time frame. So it, that part was definitely um, something that was surprising. Yeah, and so the time the timing really was good for you. Um, yeah, the timing was interesting. You know, between that and then Ric Flair getting sick and him being. You know, the intro during the PGA Championships, and they did the 30 for 30, um, and being a part of that whole craze, uh, you know, and then obviously in pop culture, people started to refer to Ric Flair, and he had a song, and then he was in these videos and left, right, and center. So I think from that part, it was definitely perfect timing on that end. But yeah, from that sense, um, that was kind of cool. But the whole Ric Flair thing was much bigger than I ever intended for it to be or ever thought it could be. Hey, uh, Monty Mo, I remember some years ago we were together and I, I think back a lot of fun stories uh, I've shared with you. you um, Maurice wanted to go for his PGA of America membership and thought he'd give the PAT a try. So he goes the first time and 
uh, you came back and you said, yeah, you know, I didn't play as well. Kind of sprayed a few drives. And I said, Maurice, you hit your seven iron like 275 yards. Do me a favor, go to the PAT, only bring a seven iron down to a putter. I believe you did that and you shot like a couple of low 70s. And um, Yeah, I was one stroke off the low medalist because I decided to pull my driver out on the 18th hole. And I was like, I'm just going for broke as a par five. But still ended up, uh, I think I went 70, 71, 73, something like that. So, yeah, played pretty well. I just, I love that. For anybody listening, do not get in a long drive contest with Maurice when he's holding his pitching wedge. It's a trick. You will, you will not win. I've seen him do this to people. but um, And that was neat. You know, we were together in St. Louis at the Senior Championship. I'll never forget um, at that Boys and Girls Club. And uh, just, you know, the, the touching way you connected with those kids. They, um, they could really – they could really – just feel you You're so genuine and authentic. And, um, you know, that, that's when I knew you were, you were going to do more with this long drive stuff, just the way you could connect with these kids. And that was a pretty powerful presentation you did in St. Louis with those kids that year. Yeah, St. Louis was a lot of fun. Uh, St. Louis was definitely an eye-opening situation. Um, when you really look at it, you know, golf is a game that, you know, I know everybody's on the whole diversity and inclusion Thing right now but the truth of the matter is you know you you can't include people who don't have access um that's it's impossible you know it's almost like you can't include people who don't know that something exists and a lot of times uh, a lot of minorities don't even know that the game exists um you know obviously yeah people know who tiger woods is but you know, it's just like saying, hey, well, you know who Bobby Fisher is. Do you play chess? No, I don't play chess, but I know who Bobby Fisher is. You know, that's it's the same type of deal. So it's it's definitely different. Um, and I think that was one of the big things that kind of just changed my whole mode and my goal towards where this game could go or at least the, the part that I was going to play in it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you and I were in St. Louis, we are downtown – tough area and, and you know they're looking at your golf clubs and saying I've never seen these I've never held them and um, so you're right it's it's one thing to you know to do something as I talk about this a lot it's fine enough to do an exposure event but you're right how do we take those kids from inner city St. Louis get them to a golf course really get them to get hooked on the game get them access I mean it's a that's a tough part oh yeah most definitely the that's a, that's a big part. You know, I think a lot of people in day-to-day living, you know, they, I don't think people understand the significance of grass or of, of trees. You know, if you're in an area that's a concrete jungle, a um, place that doesn't have a lot of just simple, basic nature, you know, just grass, weeds, trees, flowers, things of that nature that you see, you really take for granted on a golf course uh, or anybody who plays golf. You don't really think about grass as a commodity at all. You don't see it as a luxury. It's like, ah, it's, it's grass. What do you mean? You know, you hit a ball, take a divot, you fill it with sand, and you keep it moving. Um, but there are a lot of people who don't have the luxury of seeing grass on the regular. They don't get to go and play in the yard. They don't have a lawn. They don't get to tear up grass like we do every single day when we're playing golf. Um, it's just different. It's definitely a different thought process. It's a different view, a different uh, way of looking at life. 
Yeah, I've got Maurice. I've got two two comments, and then I wanted to get your take on this. I had the privilege of uh, when the Boys and Girls Club PGA program was a pilot program of being one of the first uh, professionals in, in the PGA yeah. to kind of roll that out. And we did it up in Sanford at the Boys and Girls Club up there. And it, mm -hmm. it, was, it was such an eye-opening experience for me because, you know, to, to, to walk in there and, and bring, be able to bring this to these kids, like you said, that have never experienced this, some have never seen a golf club, but what really struck me is when, when we had the last day of the program, we took them uh, out to the golf course. We took them up to Legacy Club, uh, Aliqua Lakes. And yeah, Aliqua. Yep. We're, we're driving around in the carts and, and, you know, there's a lot of deer up at that golf course and they're running across the fairways. And the kids were just jaws dropped. And it, what is potentially possible through this game is it's so transcending. And, and you know that and you're a great ambassador for that. And my second comment, and then I'll get your take on this, is uh, when I was the golf professional at Winter Park, uh, the nine-hole course, uh, mm -hmm. Dubstred was being renovated. So Dr. Dorsey's group, and I know you have an intimate connection with, uh, with his group, they came over to Winter Park while they, when Dubstred was closed down. And I, I promise you, I've never seen a group, of, a youth group that was more focused, more disciplined, more respectful, than, than the kids in, in Dr. Dorsey's Orlando Minority Youth uh, Golf Association. So I wanted, wanted to get some comments from you on your connection uh, with him and what he does. Yeah, I mean, uh, Doc's my coach. Uh, I don't, that's my swing coach. That's my uh, everything involving golf. Um, you know, people have asked me before, why don't I go see a PGA pro and things like that? Uh, you know, or uh, I know I've heard, why don't I go see a golf professional before? And I was like, well, he's a dentist. Last time I checked, that's a, per you know, that's a professional of some sort, you know, there, that's a profession. So he's definitely a professional. Uh, as far as golf is concerned, he, he definitely knows more than anybody I've ever come across about the golf swing. He, en he enjoys reading and learning about the swing. Um, and so with him, I mean, I, I literally credit everything that I've done on the golf course and off the golf course uh, in the last few years to just being around him, being in his presence, getting to know him as a person. Um, it, it changed my entire life, uh, which is cool. You know, yeah. Yeah. when you think about it from that stance, um, I always tell him that he's a dinosaur because, you know, <laughs> they, they, they don't make many like him. Uh, no. I'm sad enough to say when, he does go whenever that day may be. I highly doubt there'll be another one like him. Um, he's a very selfless person. His vision uh, is is on a whole another level. He's a very outside the box uh, type person. But I think that's what it takes to promote change. You know, you can't be inside the box and promote change of any kind in this world. I think that's what makes a difference. You know, people think that change is something that <laughs> happens easy but you know honestly it's one of those things where the best things for you probably hurt the most and yeah. so with with doc i mean we went through a lot of growing pains in the beginning but i also had to trust him and understand that hey you know he's not telling me this because he's bored or because he has nothing else better to do with his day so he's actually trying to help me and i think that's what you see when you look at his program and I don't try to really compare it to 
other programs because I don't know anything about other programs, junior programs. I know that Doc, from the time you walk into his doors, he sets the tone and has a commands a level of respect for you as an individual, for him as an instructor, for the game as a whole, and for the facilities that they visit and utilize. And I don't know what other instructors do. I have no clue. I don't know what they do with other youth programs, but I think when you set that tone from the moment you walk in, it, it shows, like you said, when they go to Winter Park 9 or anywhere else, uh, you can tell an OMYGA kid versus any other youth kid just because he understands and he's let everybody know when you walk away from him, people expect you to act a certain way based on the program that you came from. You know, um, he almost has that uh, – Ivy League effect. You know, when you have somebody who's gone to an Ivy League school, they understand that there's a certain expectation by saying you're, a, you know, a Harvard or Princeton grad. You know, they, it just has a certain certain regalness to it. And same thing with Doc's program. Yeah, and I, I think from the standpoint of diversity inclusion, and it is a, a big topic in the industry right now, I think we, we can't go forward without having guys – uh, from the community like him or like you that looks like these kids and, and grows up in the community that these kids do, it's so, so important. So hats off to you, man, for not only what, what you've done for the entertainment value of the game, but what you've done uh, is a role model for these kids. Oh, yeah, thanks. Man. I appreciate that. You know, I think the biggest issue that we have in golf right now is, you know, nobody has tried to market to the minority at all. Uh, there's, there are no minorities that are the face of any brand. And, uh, you know, I don't include Tiger Woods because that's God complex. Uh, mm -hmm. When you think about it, you know, you, you can't say, oh, well, we've got Tiger Woods as the face of Bridgestone or of Nike or whatever. And that doesn't count. I mean, Tiger Woods could be purple. And with the, the resume he has, he'd be the face of whatever it is. Um, but, you know, when you look at a, a Harold Varner or a Jonathan Villegas and, and guys like that who have a darker complexion, they're not on the forefront of anything regardless of how they play. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's a sad thing in this sport. And it, it at some point, I think it – I hope it changes. Um, you know, I I don't know. You boil back to that access comment. You know, how many minorities have access to the game? Well, if you look at the, I'd say the 30 and up crowd, quite quite a few of them, but there's no representation. So I think the biggest problem that you run into is how can you motivate or get kids to look up to somebody or call them their hero when they have no one that looks like them to, to do so. You know, I know growing up when I played baseball, two people I looked up to every single time I turned around was Ricky Henderson and uh, Ken Griffey Jr., I mean, there were tons of them out there. There was Kirby Puckett, and I can go down the list of guys, but, you know, it was possible. I, I saw it. It was on TV. They, You know, these guys were um, always in the limelight. Obviously, Ricky Henderson at one point was absolutely the man. You know, they, uh, a lot of people looked at uh, Major League, uh, that whole Major League and one and Major League Two series and looked at Wesley Snipes' character and kind of, you know, made a resemblance of that and Ricky Henderson. And, uh it was just something that you saw, but unfortunately in golf, there's nothing like that. There's no example of that. And, you know, that's something that definitely needs to change. If you're, if you're going to do inclusion, you have to do it all the way. And that starts with uh, sponsorship of professional athletes who have had, who have the resume to be sponsored uh, and things of that nature. And I think ultimately that turns over into 
finding new customers and new consumers. You know, you find more minority consumers because people say, hey, these companies are supporting people that look like us. We need to support them as well. And we need to support them big time. And I think hopefully that's on the, I guess, on the cusp. And hopefully that part changes in the next couple of years. Yeah, what you've done, Maurice, has been, you know, certainly nothing short of remarkable in many regards with uh, the odds you had to overcome. So definitely an inspiration to me and a lot of others. And um, I don't know what you're going to do when you're topping hitting a drive over Niagara Falls like you did. Um, that was yeah, that... blowing my mind. But uh, well, I'm like not... I even look at that, you know, that situation hurt. You know, if I had been anybody else that would have been all over the place and you know, that, that, that situation with Niagara Falls almost got kind of got thrown under the bridge or thrown under the falls, at least, you know, it didn't get, it didn't really get any real golf media attention. It was like a small blurb, a, a blimp on the radar, just be like, whoop, and then they kept going, you know, especially when a few years ago it was deemed as impossible. Uh, I'm not saying I was the only person who could have achieved it, but the fact that it was achieved, it, it just kind of got swept under the rug. And, you know, that goes back to the whole diversity and inclusion part as well. I think if I had been any of the other long drivers out there, it would have turned into a big, huge deal. Good morning, America, you know, uh, CNN, so on and so forth. But because it was me, it was just like, eh, all right, we'll say it, but not really. And, you know, that kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of thought the same thing when I was when I was watching it on Instagram. And I, hats off to Scratch Golf, too. Those Those guys do – uh, oh yeah of, they do absolutely cool amazing stuff. stuff oh yeah yeah i mean and that was honestly that wasn't even my idea that was scratch's idea scratch and Ava, they came up with that and it was absolutely perfect um you know I, I spent the entire week we were there scared to death that i wasn't going to clear it just because i knew from a physics standpoint how hard it was to hit the ball through the mist over the mist into the wind blah blah blah, blah, blah all those other factors and i was like oh man you know if i if i don't clear this yeah, I'm going to end up in a world of hurt because of it. But, I mean, then to actually achieve it, you know, we did that. I think we taped that thing in – it was right after Memorial Day, believe it or not. So I sat on it for like two months knowing that I had done it. And then when it came out, it was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> Which was terrible. I mean, but, you know, it is what it is. Well, you, yeah, you, you keep knocking down walls, so that's another wall to knock down. But I know it's going to make a difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I've come to the realization in my career, you know, I'll probably be one of those guys when they look back at it in X number of years, though, they may acknowledge the greatness that I brought to the game or something different and changing the game. Um and that's just a part of what you have to accept as an athlete. You know, you'd like to get the limelight and the love when it's happening, but to know that I've changed definitely the sport of long drive significantly, and hopefully I'm introducing more people into the game of golf. Uh, that's got to be the one thing that gives me a little bit of peace at the moment, even if I don't get the other stuff. Yeah, yeah Maurice, just like my last question is uh... – What's what's up next for you? What do you got on the schedule as we as we move into twenty uh, twenty? Uh lots of training, get myself together, uh get ready to shock the world. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs>
I like when there's less talk and more action. So, yeah, just get yeah. ready to shock the world. Well, if you want to check out more on Maurice Allen, you can you can go to his website, mauriceallen360.com. You got anything you want to plug, my friend? Uh, yeah, all my social media sites are mauriceallen360. Uh, I've got a foundation. Uh, we're going to do some stuff here in the next couple of months. Uh, we're going to do a drive, a drive drive, which is funny. Uh, but – we're getting people to donate to the American Cancer Society as well as my scholarship fund. So be on the lookout for that. If anybody is looking for a tax write-off, we're giving out scholarships and we are uh, definitely helping try to raise a cure for cancer, which is uh, a big thing as well for me. Um, but that's it. And then just stay tuned and turn your TVs on because I'll be on there soon. Nice. Can't wait to see you, Mighty Mo. Appreciate your time, sir. Oh, thank you guys so much, and I hope you all have a good rest of the week and hopefully get some golf in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you. you Thanks. Yeah, what a classy guy, Bob. I, I, I know that you've you've known him for a while. And, and uh, what, did it spring from that exhibition that he did with the, with the PGA, or did you guys go back a little bit further than that? Yeah, we first met at PGA Village uh, – I guess in uh, 2010 or so, 29, and um, we had an event, and I knew uh, Maurice's dad, Jesse, and Jesse said, hey, my son's really doing pretty well at this uh, golf thing and the long drive, and so I said, well, let's bring him down and have him do an exhibition, and you could just tell he had the talent, obviously physically, to hit it afar, um, but you could see the beginning of how he presents and how he could connect with people. It's very genuine. And uh, I just knew he was, geez, he was, he was going to go on to big things. Yeah. And you know, his, his last comment uh, about the whole uh, driving it over the falls, I, I did, I kind of felt the same way that that should have got a lot more press than it did because I remember when John Daly tried it and it was, it was all over the place and it, there we've made progress and, and it's, it's easy for you and I to say that, but you know uh, for someone from that community, it's, there's still a lot of work to do. And I don't think we have, with all efforts that the PGA and others in the industry have put in, I, I, I think we still have got some work to do. Yeah, it's still ways to go. It's always step forward, a step back. Some Sometimes there's a little bit of a uh, treading water. Yeah. Um, but Maurice is right. It, it's going to be nice when you can see the Tony Finau's or Carol Varner, the, to get out there in front of more people on a sponsorship level and be featured. And, um, so it's come, come a ways, but it's got a long way to go. Yeah. So um, Bob, thanks for uh, lining that up and getting him on there. He's uh, he, he was a good guest and, and I'm looking forward. And as I'm sure you are to getting a couple more guests as we go forward and talking about all corners of the game, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this edition uh, like I said in our first uh, episode of the new season, we don't have a set schedule. We get these things rolled out as we can. The hope is to have something come out weekly, but there's no guarantees on that. Um, and, and as you saw, um, we're going to talk about all things, all things that have to do with this game that, that the both of us love and a lot of the folks that are listening absolutely love as well. So, Bob, any last thoughts? Yeah, well, one thing I'm about to say is, uh, yeah, we want to bring up a lot of uh, a lot of things to talk about, and, and sometimes it'll be uncomfortable. But yeah. out of an uncomfortable spot, then you 
people that to start things and it gets out in the open and then you can have change if it's hidden too far as simple as, as silly as a metal wood or a soft collared shirt or a spikes or with what Maurice is doing to try to get more uh, people of color and minorities into the game. Um, you got to talk about it. You got to get it out in the open and yeah. it gets uncomfortable, but when you get past that, then, then you can really make some change. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's important to have guys like him be in the face of this, of this movement. So, um, so that's it for this edition of love of the links. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube. We'll get this video portion uh, put up on YouTube fairly quick. Uh, the recording that goes on uh, all the podcasts, the various outlets takes a little bit longer to slice and dice and get up there. We are on uh, iHeartRadio now. So woo, for that, I can't do the Ric Flair as good as our, our last guest. You should have had him do it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're slowly but surely starting to hit all those pockets where people go to check out podcasts. So once again, Bob, thank you for your time. Looking forward to our next episode uh, and happy holidays to everyone. Sounds great. Thanks, B.E. Keep in the fairway. You too. Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.